Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. At our opening music today is a traditional folk song from Kazakhstan in Central Asia. Our weekly DX program, WaveScan, is researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Miami. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 660 for release on Sunday, October 17, 2021. On WaveScan today, Kazakhstan celebrates 100 years of radio history. A conversation with Kim Andrew Elliott, producer of Shortwave Radiogram. At the present time, the Central Asian nation of Kazakhstan is celebrating the 100th anniversary of radio broadcasting in their country. It was in October 1921 that the first radio broadcasting station was inaugurated in the city of Orenburg, exactly 100 years ago. Here's Ray Robinson now with more on Kazakhstan. Thanks, Jeff. The independent nation of Kazakhstan is the world's largest landlocked country with no direct access to the ocean, and it's the ninth largest country in the world with a population approaching 20 million. Interestingly, a small section of Kazakhstan, about 100 miles wide on the western side of the Ural River, is actually located in Europe, though the Asian section of the country extends across the territory of the Great Steppes for nearly 2,000 miles. Ancient Kazakhstan was populated by Asian peoples, and sections of the historic trade route known as the Silk Road traversed through their countryside. The Kazakh tourist industry is beginning to flourish, and in normal times, 7 million tourists flock into the country, mainly from Russia. It was during the mid-1800s that the Kazakh territory was absorbed into the Russian Empire, and the city of Orenburg became the first, though temporary, capital city. Interestingly, these days, Orenburg is located in Russia, not in Kazakhstan, though it has a large population of Kazakh people. It takes a full day to travel by bus from Orenburg to the border with Kazakhstan itself. In 1929, Almaty became the capital city, and in 1997, a modern and quite remarkable new capital city was designated, Astana, which is located in the centre of the country. We might also add that the government announced six years ago in 2015 the progressive implementation of a changeover in their written language from Cyrillic script to Latin script. It was on September the 29th, 1921, that the Russian government in Moscow announced their plan to establish a radio broadcasting station for Kazakhstan, and it would be located in Orenburg in southern Russia, at least 50 miles north of the border with Kazakhstan. This new radio station was identified under the Russian call sign RA-25, and programming was in the Russian language. In 1929, this station was listed with 1 kilowatt on longwave 468 kilohertz, or 640 meters. The Russian government installed a second radio station for Kazakhstan in 1926, and the chosen location was Petropavlovsk, this time within Kazakhstan itself, just 30 miles south of the border with Russia. This station was identified under the Russian callsign system as RA-64. The first broadcasts in the Kazakh language went on the air during the following year on March 23, 1927. 
1929, this station was listed with 45 kilowatts on medium wave 857 kilohertz. In the middle of last century, a massive number of wired radio stations were installed throughout the Soviet Union. In the UK, these were known as rediffusion systems, which we would identify these days as cable radio. At the height of their usage, there are at least 800 cable radio centres in Kazakhstan, feeding a total of anywhere up to a million radio speakers in public places and in the homes of the people. At the same time, a nationwide network of over-the-air radio broadcasting stations was also developed, on long-wave, medium-wave, short-wave, and ultimately FM European Band 1 and International Band 2. It's known that home service shortwave stations were established in at least nine different centres. The first listing in the World Radio TV Handbook for shortwave transmitters in Kazakhstan is presented in the sixth annual edition for the year 1952. A total of five shortwave channels is shown, each rated at 10 kilowatts. It's known that there were two major shortwave stations in Kazakhstan, both near the city of Alma-Ata, Almaty, in the southeast of the country, almost on the border with Kyrgyzstan, another former Soviet Union republic. The shortwave transmitters were in use for home service programming, regional and international coverage, and also for the jamming of incoming shortwave signals from other countries. The usage of shortwave radio broadcasting for coverage within Kazakhstan began in the middle of the last century, soon after the end of World War II. The known listings would suggest that shortwave broadcasting transmitters were installed in about a dozen different regional locations and that the power levels varied from quite low up to around 20 kilowatts. Two major international shortwave transmitter stations were constructed near Alma-Ata and both sites can still be seen on Google Earth. The first major shortwave station was constructed at Dmitrievka, northeast from Alma-Ata, around three-quarters of a century ago during the 1950s, and it contained more than 30 transmitters. The shortwave transmitters ranged in power from very low up to 200 kilowatts, though 14 of them were rated at 100 kilowatts. At least nine of these transmitters were in use for program broadcasting on long-wave, medium-wave and FM. A second large transmitter station was constructed at Karaturk, and this station contained four shortwave transmitters at 500 kilowatts and two at 1,000 kilowatts. The Karaturk station was also located northeast of Alma-Ata, just a few miles distant from the older station at Dmitrievka. These two very large shortwave broadcasting stations near Alma-Ata in Kazakhstan were closed, effective on March 1st, 2012. There were several occasions when radio programming from Kazakhstan was carried on other shortwave stations associated with the Russian Federation. For example, in 2000, two shortwave transmitters in the Ukraine, 100 kilowatts each, relayed programming from Kazakhstan for the benefit of listeners in Europe. The Radio Moscow shortwave network also carried regional Kazakh programming on many occasions. For a period of about 10 years, towards the end of the last century and into this new century, several international shortwave stations took out a relay from Alma-Ata. Among these stations were Radio Netherlands, The Voice of America, the BBC in London, Vatican Radio, Deutsche Welle, Radio Free Asia and Transworld Radio. 
Interestingly, during the year 2001, Alma Atta also carried a shortwave relay of programming on behalf of the independent shortwave station WRNO in the United States. So we congratulate Radio Kazakhstan on the significant occasion of their 100th anniversary. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray. Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Well, today on Wayscan, Aaron Castillo of the program Electronic Echoes on KPC Radio in Los Angeles will be talking with a good friend of ours, Dr. Kim Andrew Elliott. Kim is a former audience research analyst for The Voice of America, former producer of Communications World and VOA Radiogram on the VOA, and current producer of Shortwave Radiogram, a weekly broadcast heard on WRMI and WINB that transmits interesting articles and images over the air using digital modes via analog shortwave. Here's Aaron Castillo. You are listening to Electronic Echoes, an exploration into the world of shortwave radio. The world of radio is filled with various languages, musical genres, and sounds. They transmit all sorts of information around the globe. From sports teams to breaking news, the world of radio is dominated by sound. However, with the right software and know-how, there are other types of sounds to be heard. While they don't make sense to our ears, to a properly set up computer, they are decoded as text and images, making the radio come alive. My guest for today is Kim Andrew Elliott, KD9XB. I'd like to welcome you to the show today. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you, Aaron. Good to be here. So could you please tell me what got you into radio? What's your first memory with the medium? Well, as a child, I enjoyed um, playing with the, with the radios and the TVs in our house. Uh, we, we just had a very basic black and white television and a and a pretty basic radio, but I would tune around both of those and, and pick up uh, TV and radio stations from the distance. Um, I also enjoyed from my uh, home in northern Indiana listening to the uh, radio stations in Chicago that played uh, the top 40 music, and that was a form of long-distance reception or DX. Um, so that all started my interest in, in radio. Um, my father was a was a police officer, so he would bring home the, the police uh, radio, uh, um, portable radio, which was like a large suitcase type thing back then. And uh, so I get to listen to some of that uh, communications too. So all that put together, that got me interested in, in radio. And then I was also interested in maps and geography and, and uh, foreign countries and, and put all that together. And that got me interested in shortwave. I finally was able to uh, purchase a, a, a shortwave radio kit, a night kit star roamer in uh, around 1966, I think, for $40, which was an immense amount of money for me at that time. Wow. So that would be like the defining moment when you got your first radio and you started to really listen in to the world and be able to hear stations from Europe and Asia and South America and all that right? Yeah, I was captivated from the very beginning. I was just amazed at all the countries that came in from the very beginning. I think Radio Havana, Cuba was the first station. 
that I heard, but uh, the European stations came in very quickly after that. And uh, uh, of course, the big HCJB transmitter in Ecuador, and then eventually, well, Radio Australia was always there in the early morning. Uh, and uh, if conditions were good, I could hear uh, uh, the old Radio Peking all the way from China. Wow, that's very impressive. In all of this, in all this experimenting and enjoying it, did you ever have a moment of doubt or were you just like first first sound of the um, interval signal from Radio Havana, Cuba? You were just like, okay, this is it. I'm going to be in shortwave now. It was the latter. I was pretty much dedicated to the whole uh, field of radio, a long distance radio and, and international radio from the very beginning. Um, I knew that's what I wanted to do uh, uh, as a career. Uh, and um, so there's no getting back. And then uh, eventually I thought, well, if I'm going to be a good shortwave listener, I should also be a, a radio amateur, although it's not necessary uh, to be a licensed radio amateur to uh, listen to shortwave. And, uh, but I did uh, in the 1960s also get an amateur radio license, although I didn't use it much until later in life. Before we get into the nitty gritty of shortwave radiogram could you first explain what is a radiogram what's its purpose and what were they historically used for well i think radiogram really doesn't have an official connotation um uh, the radio amateur community that handles emergency traffic or emergency messages during uh times of, of tribulation uh will put those messages on what's called a radiogram it's an offshoot of the old uh uh, telegram from the from the old days, um, so I just borrowed the word radiogram from from that because I was also sending text. The radiograms of amateur radio would start as audio or maybe uh, Morse code, and then would be converted to uh, writing. While we, I was mm-hmm. transmitting text. The only thing about a radiogram, and that's just the term I picked up, and I'm using it, so it's not copyright or anything. Um, is that uh, I've discovered that you can use old shortwave, analog shortwave radio transmitters that were used for voice and music for decades, and that you can actually transmit text and images on those transmitters, and they can be received on cheap shortwave radios as long as you pipe the audio into a computer or an uh, Android device that can decode that. And uh, it works very well, works better than, than voice because it uh, cuts through the interference and the fading and the, and the crud. And it's a, a, maybe a, a more efficient way to communicate. So I kind of discovered that um, concept back around 2010. And I thought, well, this, is, this would be a good way to communicate. And especially uh, with more and more countries blocking Internet content, uh, this would be a way of getting news and information in the countries that do uh, interdict the internet um, by just putting it on to radio, shortwave radio, and in some cases, AM radio. So this could be a lifeline to get some kind of like a news article or something into an authoritarian regime that doesn't allow internet access. Yeah. The, uh, so the, the concept would be um, uh, if a if a country really blocks the internet, and Iran has done this to a large extent, China has done it to a large extent. If you can uh, get that information into into a country, um, uh, then the radio enthusiasts in that country, who will not be uh, a majority of 
of people, it won't be in the millions, probably more in the thousands, would then pass that information on through what has become the intranet of, of that country. Like the flash drive uh, intranet of Cuba, where they pass flash drives along carrying right. this week's information. Sure. And, and in this case, you wouldn't need a physical transfer of, 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 the, of the content. You can actually do it wirelessly uh, as long as you get the uh, software necessary uh, into, that, into the country. But I have listeners in, in Cuba. And then could you explain a little bit about how, what digital modes are and how they actually can transmit text and images through audio? How do you convert something that yeah. doesn't make any sense, like an image, and then turn it into a sound? Well, I'm not the expert on the technology of it. It involves algorithms that are, that are pretty complicated that geniuses ha- have put together. The, the oldest form of, um, of text via radio would be the uh, radio teletype. Uh, and you would tune across the radio and you might hear something that sounds like, and uh, that mm-hmm. would be probably would be radio teletype. In fact, back in the um, decades past, news agencies from many countries would send out their news over shortwave uh, to anybody in the world who wanted to pick it up. And, uh, and so basically the, the, the sounds uh, on the radio uh, would be converted first by mechanical devices that would pick up those tones and then convert them to letters. And now it's much easier to do it through computers uh, and software. Uh, so that radio tel- teletype was the simplest version of that. Then it got into more um, complex, um, uh, like phase shift keying and, and frequency shift keying and throwing in error correction so that if, if the letter was not received correctly the first time, it would come around a, a little bit later and, and correct for whatever mistakes that were made. And that's really good on shortwave because reception sometimes is not great. Sometimes you have fading noise, uh, especially over long distances. So these new modes that the radio amateurs use, uh, such as multiple frequency shift keying MFSK and and uh, phase shift keying PSK, um, work work on any kind of shortwave, and they can work. Uh, on cheap shortwave radios as well, but you do need the software um, uh, in a computer or maybe an Android device to decode it, but that's free. And, and those devices are, are becoming more and more available. How did you figure out which modes worked best, for, worked best for voice and VOA radiogram and shortwave radiogram? Which modes impressed you the most and which were the yeah. most disappointing? Well, the, the software that, that I use mostly is FL Digi, and you can download FL Digi from uh, the website w1hkj.com. That's w1hjk.com. And, and that software, the FL Digi, uh, can encode and decode uh, all kinds of software, probably a couple of dozen, three dozen types of uh, uh, of digital modes that are used uh, in amateur radio. So in the early days of the VOA radiogram, which I started in 2012, uh, I started using the various modes there and comparing them side by side. I would compare modes that were the same speed. In other words, the same number of words per minute and just do it side by side. And then the listeners 
all over the world would 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 let me know by email uh, mostly um, which mode worked better than the other mode. Um, now the one of the old favorite modes of amateur radio is called PSK thirty one, um, and a lot of radio amateurs were using that. Uh, oh, eight years ago, ten years ago. And, uh, but that disappointed me. I was getting too many errors in these phase shift key modes. And the problem is, well, we're getting technical now, uh, an AM signal, um, amplitude modulation, plain old AM signal, like you'd get on your AM radio, um, has two identical sidebands and, um, yes. information in one sideband would get out of phase with the other sideband. Ah, so we shifted over to the uh, frequency shift keying modes. And uh, one of the early modes that worked really well was um, MFSK32, multiple frequency shift keying 32, which is uh, 32 baud. And um, that worked really well from the get-go and uh, compared it to all sorts of other modes available to radio amateurs. And MFSK32 came out ahead almost all the time. It was a good compromise of speed. It's about 120 words per minute and performance in difficult conditions. Now, if uh, shortwave conditions are a little bit better, we can uh, ratchet it up to MFSK64, uh, 64 baud, which is 240 words per minute. And we've been using that a lot lately because uh, our the, the shortwave transmitters that I use are high power and they manage to get through pretty well to their target areas. Do you think that more shortwave programs should be taking advantage of these digital modes to transmit all sorts of information? Because it seems to me like you're one of the few people who's actually like on a commercial station broadcasting these digital modes. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think more shortwave stations should do that. And uh, part of the problem is that that I'm 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 I have not done a good job of publicizing this new capability of shortwave radio. Uh, I've been so busy getting the show out every week that I don't have time to get in touch with the surviving shortwave stations uh, to tell them about this and how it works and and uh, how they can use it very easily. It's very easy to do, and uh, and listeners around the world can do it pretty easily too. Uh, yes, I th- now the problem is part of the problem is a lot of the shortwave broadcast stations in the world have just gone off the air or have uh, de- deeply cut back their schedules uh, because uh, international flow of news and information has moved to the internet. Uh, but with the internet being blocked. Uh, the countries that have their shortwave transmitters probably should keep them and explore ways of using text and images as well as uh, audio on shortwave. When you broadcast shortwave radio game, what is its typical format? And how do you pick what stories and images you put in every week? Well, the the shortwave listening community, I think, tends to be interested in, in scientific issues so uh, I usually pick stories about science from public domain sources like uh, university news releases and things like that. Um, and so it's usually uh, two stories about science. One of them uh, in the MFSK32, which is a slower mode. So it will be a shorter, shorter story. And then another one in MFSK64, which would be a longer story. And then that would be followed by maybe 
eight images in MFSK64. It can send images as well as uh, text. Uh, it's similar to something called slow scan television. And um, it ends up with something with, with the pictures looking really nice. Uh, I picked nice yes. pictures that, that are small because uh, if they're not small, they'll take forever to transmit. And so it will be one big subject in the middle of the little picture. And uh, sometimes if shortwave conditions are poor, the uh, a photograph will be turned into like an impressionist painting. And we really enjoy that. We enjoy what shortwave does to a photograph. Um, it makes for an interesting effect. So uh, yes. that's that's part of the, the art of shortwave radiogram. When you finish putting all that together, when you finish selecting your, your two stories of the week and your images, how do you send it off to the broadcasting stations? And what does it take for you to run them every week? Well, it mounts uh, to, to editing. Uh, you can use various software, audio editing software. I'm, I'm using Audacity to do that. Just putting together the pieces that are uh, recorded using FL Digi software, uh, they will record uh, whatever is transmitted as a WAV file. And then all that all goes into uh, Audacity and I piece it together, get rid of whatever's not necessary or, or, or what I don't have time for. And then it, it all boils down to a show that's 29 minutes and 30 seconds. That's my time budget. Um, convert that to MP3 because that's what the two shortwave stations that I'm on want. They want MP3. Uh, I, I put it in the highest bit rate as possible. And, um, and it gets uploaded via ST, FTP to, to those stations. That was Kim Andrew Elliott, producer of Shortwave Radiogram talking with Aaron Castillo of Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com in Los Angeles. We'll continue with that interview on an upcoming edition of WaveScan. And we end WaveScan with folk music from Kazakhstan again. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week on WaveScan, flying goats could save a Caribbean island, the radio story about the kingdom of Redonda and the island of Barbuda in the Caribbean. We'll continue with Aaron Castillo's interview of Kim Andrew Elliott of Shortwave Radiogram and our Australian DX report from Bob Padula. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand. Stay tuned for that. And also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio. P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N, 
O N G, Bangkok, one zero, one one zero, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box two three four, Prakanong, Bangkok, one zero, one one zero, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to WaveScan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Miami. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Yes.